0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton joins the Post to discuss the risk of a delayed transition, the future of the Republican Party, and what he sees as the country's most pressing national security concern. Good afternoon. I'm Robert Costa with The Washington Post, a national political reporter. Today here at Washington Post Live, we welcome back one of the more high profile former members of President Trump's. Administration, now a high profile critic who served as national security advisor to President Trump and previously served in other Republican administrations. Ambassador John Bolton, welcome back. Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Ambassador Bolton, as you look at the landscape inside of the transition period during this lame duck period after the election, do you believe President Trump will take action against Iran? No, I don't. I I think the reports that he
1: ask for options uh, is fairly typical of the erratic, idiosyncratic, ill-informed, inconsistent way he makes decisions. The thought occurs to him that maybe it would be a good thing to do, and so he talks about it and then is uh, talked out of it or something else attracts his attention. Uh, I don't think that's at all likely. Uh, I think if anything, 30 days from now, he could be thinking about trying to meet with the Ayatollahs and make a deal to go back into the 2015 nuclear deal. That would be uh, par for the course, I think, with him. What are you
0: hearing from inside?
1: Well, I think uh, he is definitely not reconciled to having lost the election, that's for sure. Uh, I think he's being spun up by uh, bad legal advice and bad political advice that maybe he does uh, have a chance to win. Uh, I think in any event, he will never Concede that he lost. He will say that the election was stolen from him, uh, and I'm worried that in the next uh, nine weeks uh, he could do he could still do a fair amount of damage both to uh, the the country and the government and and the Republican Party. All, all of which I think he's actively doing
0: as we speak. In your book, The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir, you talk at length. You write at length about Rudy Giuliani, the president's attorney. And the impeachment process and your alarm about Mayor Giuliani's work with President Trump, his advice for President Trump. Now it's Mayor Giuliani leading the legal effort. What does that reveal? What do you know? Well, I don't really know anything more about
1: what I will loosely call their legal strategy than what you see unfolding in front of you. And uh, I think we're really past time now. It's more than two weeks since the election. Everybody in the party's been very tolerant. Everybody says he has a right to pursue his legal remedies. I agree with that. But it's really at at this stage beside the point. Uh, The issue is not, does he have a right to do all this? The question is, is it wise? Is it the best thing for the country? Uh, And despite one claim after another, including within the past uh, 24 hours that evidence is coming out of a fire hose, there's still no evidence of massive fraud. So I think uh, both for the sake of the country as a whole to to try and get past this very divisive election uh, and for the Republican Party before large chunks of it come firmly to the belief, the erroneous belief that the election is stolen, we've got to begin to speak out and talk about what is gonna happen on the 20th of January, which is a new president's gonna be sworn in. Do you believe it's time for President Trump to concede? Sure, it's past time for him to concede, but he's not gonna do that, I think we, need to find ways to allow him to say the transition can begin without it becoming a concession that he's lost. I I don't care whether he ever concedes, frankly, but I do think all of us as Republicans have an obligation to the country to ensure a smooth transition. I've been through good transitions and bad, and uh, uh, the incoming team can do well or do poorly, depending on how they're treated, but if it's a bad transition,
0: it's always bad, uh, for the country. Do you believe the United States is vulnerable to attack or some other kind of disruption because the transition's not unfolding in the, the usual way? Now, I don't think we should be
1: apocalyptic about it. I think it's a, it's a matter of degree. What you can say with certainty is that every day that goes by that the transition doesn't proceed in an orderly fashion leaves us more vulnerable. In 2000, and I speak as a veteran of the Flor- Florida recount. Uh, 37 days were lost with no uh, real ability for the Bush team to interact with the government. And the 9-11 Commission uh, said that might have been a factor in not being ready for uh, for the 9-11 attacks. No, no one can really know that. And I guess all I would say is, you want to
0: take that chance again? You know Chris Krebs, the recently fired director of Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, pretty well. That firing by President Trump of Mr. Krebs was made on the heels of the termination of Mark Esper, the defense secretary. What's your reaction to the Krebs firing and what does that tell us about where the president's going? Well, I thought it was another
1: bad mistake. There's absolutely no justification for it. There wasn't any justification to fire Mark Esper, the other top uh, Defense Department officials. Uh, There wasn't any justification to fire Lisa Gordon-Haggerty, the head of the National Nuclear Safety Administration, uh, Security Administration. There wasn't any reason to fire Bonnie Glick, the deputy administrator of the Agency for International Development. There's no reason To decapitate your national security team with less than 10 weeks to go until the transition, Uh, that will inevitably cause uh, disruptions in the agencies themselves, let alone their ability to hand off uh, smoothly. And what I fear is, although there has been, uh, I think, more negative Republican reaction on the Hill to Chris Krebs firing, uh, that that there's an enemies list in the White House of uh, people still to fire. Uh, and that there's more to come. Have you actually heard that there is an enemies list? No, no, I'm I'm worried that there's an enemies list. There, there, there probably is in Donald Trump's head. I don't,
0: I doubt that he's written it out. What does it say though about the Krebs firing in terms of the president's intent? You say you don't believe there was a reason for the termination, but what are we as journalists, as American citizens, supposed to interpret here about the president's intent, his plan? When he fires all these officials, what's he doing?
1: Well, there's no there's no legitimate reason for it. I'm sure the reason he fired Chris Krebs was that Krebs said there was no evidence uh, in cyberspace of uh, fraud, election hacking, or or other uh, uh, malfeasance, uh, which is completely contrary to the fantasy world that the president lives in, uh, that there's a conspiracy so vast and so successful uh, that it's proceeding without leading. Leaving any evidence behind. And, you know, under that kind of theory, uh, you, you can posit uh, evil doing uh, forever. And uh, what the information that uh, the Homeland Security Department, state and local officials have put out consistently, whether by the way they're Democrat or Republican, is that there's no evidence of any kind of fraud uh, or, or uh, malfeasance anywhere near the scale that would uh, change the outcome
0: of the election. You've been in the room with President Trump. You've written about it. You've been sitting there in the Oval Office with him. You used the term fantasy world just now, Ambassador. Do you believe President Trump is operating in some sort of fantasy, some kind of reality that doesn't make sense? Or is he operating highly aware of what he's doing and with ill intent? How do you see that dynamic?
1: Well, I think he's operating the same way that he always did. In fact, if there's any silver lining in his behavior so far during the transition, and what I'm afraid we're going to see until January the 20th, is it will expose more to the American people the way he behaved on a day-to-day basis uh, during his administration. And I think the more you see of this behavior, the more you're seeing the real man. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying he's Detached from reality, I'm saying he likes to create his own reality and then get people to agree with it. Uh, when he runs into the real reality, uh, sometimes that poses difficulty. And and he's running into the real reality uh, right now, having lost the election.
0: What's the reality in Afghanistan? The president is planning to order U.S. troops to be withdrawn to to cut American forces in Afghanistan by roughly half, going from about 4,500 to 2,500. What's your response to that action?
1: Well, and the same decision with respect to uh, Iraq. Uh, Neither one is justified by facts on the ground. In the case of Afghanistan, the withdrawal has nothing whatever to do with the so-called conditions-based withdrawal plan consistent with uh, the administration's deal with the Taliban, a very ill-advised deal in in my judgment. Uh, These numbers of 2,500 Americans— in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan have nothing to do with uh, military necessity. They are entirely political numbers. It's a bad precedent. It sends a terrible signal. Uh, and this is not responsible behavior uh, during the transition. It's, it's hard to find exact precedents. I think the Somalia precedent of 1992, 1993 is pretty good. Uh, there's no question there's only one president at a time. But a responsible president who understands that the incoming president has to take over the situation on January the 20th uh, at least finds a way to uh, try and make the transition smooth. And what Donald Trump is doing, and I think quite deliberately, uh, is trying to make it as hard for Biden as he can unnecessarily jeopardize, potentially jeopardizing Americans on the ground in both countries. and. Uh, uh, agitating the alliances with uh, several of our allies that are already frayed enough.
0: Well, what does it actually mean in, in reality on the ground in Afghanistan for the Afghan security forces, for the fate of Kandahar to have the U.S. troop levels go down to that level of about 2,500? How does that play out now in the coming months if that's all you have in terms of U.S. troops on the ground? Well, I think it's a wholly insufficient number. It's a
1: politically symbolic number. I'm I'm still worried that what the president wants is a politically symbolic number is zero, uh, and I don't rule out him trying to do that before January the 20th. Uh, The the president agreed to uh, a plan based on the deal with the Taliban. Uh, He's now changed his mind on that, uh, uh, which, again, it's his right to do it. The question is, does it make sense? from the perspective of American national interest and uh, uh, our long-term credibility around the world.
0: The acting Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller, has appointed a retired Army colonel, who you know, Douglas McGregor, as his special assistant McGregor. Colonel McGregor has been a critic of you. He said he has said publicly, you have been supportive of Israel far too much, uh, that you're a hawk. What's your response to Colonel McGregor's comments about you personally.
1: Well, he's also said, uh, "I favor Israel because they've made me rich," and he said the same thing about Mike Pompeo and Lindsey Graham. Uh, you know, look, these comments are are beneath contempt. They're they're blatantly anti-Semitic, uh, and I, I just think it's a shock that somebody like McGregor is on any government payroll, let alone the Defense Department.
0: You believe Colonel McGregor is an anti-Semite? I think his remarks are anti-Semitic. I definitely do. And have you gotten any read about why he's been installed in that post and what he's up to with uh, the new acting Secretary of Defense?
1: No, I I really don't. I I suspect his uh, nomination to be ambassador to Germany, which was another travesty, uh, wasn't going anywhere. And uh, so he's been given to the Defense Department. But it's, uh, uh, it's just another stain on the Trump administration.
0: Speaking of ambassadors to Germany, your former advisor at the UN, Rick Grinnell, is now working with the president to contest some of these election results. Any uh, response to Mr. Grinnell, Ambassador Grinnell, and his efforts? You know him well. Well, look, I think the the
1: entire uh, legal operation that the campaign uh, has mounted has been seriously flawed. And obviously, they didn't uh, share their internal strategy with me. But from what I've been able to discern, uh, there really was very little pre-election uh, preparation for the kind of effort that they would have had to mount to have a ghost of a chance of being successful in alleging widespread fraud. There, there may have been attorneys selected or volunteered around the country uh, for potential contests. But if, as the president said repeatedly during the campaign, this is go- they're going to try and steal it from me, it's rigged, and so on and so forth, uh, attorneys and others should have been out there in the months before November 3rd looking for evidence, looking for areas of concern, perhaps bringing actions in
0: court to prevent the fraud from uh, actually happening. Uh, I don't see- but what, about, uh, what about Ambassador Grinnell? With respect, Ambassador Bolton, are you unbothered by his conduct? Are you disappointed? Are you pleased with it in terms of how he's handling this election?
1: Well, I haven't honestly paid that much attention to what he's doing personally. To me, it's not a personal matter, uh, uh, whether it's Grinnell or Rudy Giuliani or, or whomever it might be. My point is that I think most of this is made up after the election. If they, if they thought, for example, that uh, Dominion voting systems was controlled by the Chinese Communists, if they thought that, uh, or by Maduro in Venezuela, I don't know what the latest theory is, or if they thought that. Uh, scorecard and hammer were cia computers and algorithms that had somehow gotten out of control they really thought all this before the election why didn't we hear about it now in the last two weeks we we have one theory after another the the only thing that's missing is actual evidence and and that that is what uh, ultimately will bring the entire strategy down and i am afraid bring discredit to the larger republican party
0: do you believe this Trump's legal team is going to try to push this to the Electoral College to disrupt it there and then ultimately try to throw it to the U.S. House? Well, I don't put
1: anything past Trump. He doesn't think rules apply to him. Uh, I haven't seen any evidence of success so far. Uh, Rudy spent yesterday for four or five hours in court mostly arguing about a claim that had been deleted from the complaint that they filed. He now wants to file a third. Complain in that case. You know, you can only make this up uh, as you go for so long before the courts you're appearing before and, and other courts that are watching get get the point that there's no there
0: there. What is Mayor Giuliani's legacy? You've known him going back to the '80s. Your work in the Justice Department. Well,
1: look, uh, I, I I was friends with Rudy for for many years and. Uh, a lot of things, a lot of bad things happened in the Trump administration, and I just think this is this is one
0: part of it. Any further thoughts though on, on him? I mean, you've known him for so long to see him in federal court for the first time since the nineteen nineties, yesterday, in front of the judge. Uh, you've you've read the reports about how it was quite a scene.
1: Yeah, look, I think I think the reports speak for themselves, and as I said, I don't really want to personalize this. My my quarrel isn't with anybody working in the Trump administration, my quarrels with Trump. Would you encourage Krebs to speak out like you have? Well, I think it's a very personal decision, uh, and and I can understand why some people have not spoken out. Uh, I wouldn't mind a little company, that's for sure. But but this is very difficult. Uh, You had a lot of people who went into the administration uh, because they wanted to serve the country. They thought they could make a contribution. Then they ran into... Uh, The first president, I think, in our history, who didn't fully appreciate the weight of his responsibilities, the gravity of the job, uh, and they left under varying circumstances and for different reasons. Some of these people I've had my own disagreements with, but I've never doubted their patriotism or their devotion to the Constitution. I, I can't speak to what's on their mind about why they've spoken or not spoken, written or not written. Uh, ultimately, more will come out, but it's uh, every everybody's got a lot of factors to weigh, and and each each will judge what's best for them.
0: While well, each judges what's best for them, are you disappointed by your longtime friend, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, for how he has handled President Trump's lashing out at the election result and refusal to concede? Well, again, I, I don't. I just don't think talking about how particular individuals- uh, Well, I mean, the, he, handled- leads, he, he leads the Republican it's, Party on Capitol Hill. I, I, and I you understand. keep calling on the Republican Party to speak out. I understand that. And uh, I've said it's a character test.
1: I mean, I think I've been uh, pretty direct about it. And I think it's important, especially, uh, that Republicans speak up. We see polls now that something like 50% or more- of self-identified Republicans think the election was stolen. This is manifestly not true. So we can collectively either uh, not speak, not tell the truth, not explain what happened, in which case many in the party will only hear Donald Trump, and their views will harden. It will become more difficult to explain the truth. Do we wait and risk that, or do we begin to speak now? Uh, It's not a question of one person or another person. I think it's a question for all of us that have been in the Republican trenches for a long time not to let the party be ruined because of the ego of one person.
0: Can we go back to the first question about Iran? Can you recall when you were in the White House about how President Trump spoke about possibly attacking Iran and its nuclear facilities? at some point. How does he see it when he's talking to someone like his national security advisor? How does he talk about it?
1: Well, I I wrote a 500-page book that explained a lot of uh, bits and pieces about about his decision-making. And uh, I tried very hard in that book uh, not to reveal anything that was classified. And I think I succeeded, and I think the National Security Council reviewer agreed with that. If it weren't for the president's effort to stop the book from coming out entirely, Uh, we'd be in a different place. So I'm going to be a little bit uh, careful here because the litigation continues. But I just don't think the president does this kind of analysis in a uh, serious and responsible way. It's not that he is, if this report we've seen in the press about Iran is true, it's not because this is the consequence of a carefully thought out strategy for dealing with Iran, uh, where uh, objectives have been matched against resources. and. Uh, the conduct has been analyzed and cost-benefit analysis has been done, and he's concluded that a military strike might make some sense. This is just a thought that came to it and uh, probably uh, has disappeared. As I say, may reappear next month with the idea that maybe he should fly to Tehran and meet with the Ayatollah Khomeini and cut a deal. It's perfectly possible. It's perfectly possible he'll say he wants to see Kim Jong-un again. That, that's, that's the way he rolls, and it's important for people, whether you agree with decision A or decision B or decision C by Trump, that he doesn't think in philosophical or strategic or even policy terms. I describe in the book that his decisions are like an archipelago of dots, and in Washington, I, I know from what people have told me, it's, it's hard for uh, old Washington hands to believe that's true, but
0: it is true. Since the Biden team does not have access to high-level intelligence briefings or federal funds, they're scrambling to still have a transition process. I wonder, in, in the course of that effort, have they reached out to you, Ambassador Bolton, because you have recently been inside of this administration, you know the players. Has anyone from Biden's orbit reached out to you during the transition for advice or consultation?
1: No, they have not. And I don't expect it. And let me say, part of the problem here is that uh, people are following the pattern of the 2000 transition. Again, because of that Florida recount, uh, the George W. Bush transition team was was denied uh, access. The president was getting some uh, intelligence briefings, but the team itself really uh, didn't have much contact with the government. I I was in Florida. I I, I don't know all the specifics, but I know that uh, it was very disruptive. Uh, and that's not the the approach we should be following now. The The Presidential Transition Act needs to be rewritten. The idea that the administrator of GSA is supposed to make a decision in a context like this is completely misguided. Uh, the current incumbent is a subordinate of the president. She's not going to contradict him, at least uh, not long enough to keep her job. Uh, there has to be a better way to do it. the The better way, the easy better way is for a mature and responsible president to say, I don't agree that Biden's the president-elect, but just to keep things calm, I'm gonna allow the transition preparations to to begin. uh, And we'll see when I win, we will have wasted money, but anyway, people will be happy. That that Trump will not do that. So I think uh, Biden is day by day being put in a more and more untenable position. And I might just say, this is another reason why Republicans who do think of the interests of the country first. And I really think that's
0: where our party is, need to speak up more now. I would like to ask a question from one of our audience members. Hasham Solomon from Wisconsin uh, asked this question. Do you think President Trump is a security risk for the United States once he leaves office with foreign debt and knowledge of highly classified information? Ambassador Bolton? Well, I don't know that he has foreign debt. Everybody seems to know more about Donald Trump's
1: finances than I do. Maybe I just haven't been paying enough attention. Uh, uh, Look, it's a a concern, I think, that uh, is legitimate to have. But honestly, uh, there's enough to criticize in President Trump's conduct. You don't have to be apocalyptic about it. I just think everybody ought to take a deep breath. It's bad enough as it is. Don't let your imagination run wild just yet.
0: What do you think he does once he leaves office?
1: Uh, Well, I I wish him a very quiet retirement at Mar-a-Lago. I hope he makes a lot of money in successful real estate investments. I'm worried that's not what's going to happen. I think he uh, uh, will try and keep his influence within the Republican Party. Maybe he'll buy a television network. Uh, God knows he'll continue to tweet. Uh, And I'm afraid it'll be very
0: destructive for us. Another question from our audience, Pat McPherson from Pennsylvania. Do you have any regrets, Ambassador Bolton, about your own choices in working for President Trump?
1: No, I I thought that uh, it was the right thing to do to try and go into the administration and and do what I can. I thought America faced a substantial number of very serious national security challenges uh, based on eight years of mistaken policy in the Obama administration. Uh, I certainly uh, uh, wasn't shy in sharing my opinions, uh, and uh, I I don't doubt I made a a lot of mistakes. I I wish I'd been more successful in persuading the president on a number of key issues, but knowing what I know now, uh, I would still go in. I would probably do a lot of things differently, but I think it's important uh, to uh, serve the country if you have the opportunity. I'm sure that's what dozens, scores of other senior officials who have cycled through the four years of the Trump administration uh, uh, also believe, and and I think their efforts should be commended and not criticized.
0: How do you believe the world and U.S. rivals or or enemies even will challenge and test President-elect Biden once he takes office in January?
1: Well, I think there are a lot of uh, uh, ways in which that can happen. Uh, and I think they're uh, certainly thinking about that right now. Uh, I I believe that if you look at the strategic threats posed by Russia and China, there are any number of challenges they could pose. The continuing threat of nuclear proliferation by Iran and North Korea and others are very, very serious. Uh, And the continuing threat of uh, radical Islamic terrorism remains and I think is growing. And I think, sadly, because of the Uh, administrations deal with the Taliban in Afghanistan are likely to grow worse in in times ahead. So it's going to be a very challenging uh, uh, administration for President Biden. And uh, just given his past views and the views of the Democratic Party, uh, I think I'll have a lot to do in opposition for four years.
0: But do you believe he will be able to bolster relationships with U.S. allies that have grown beleaguered with President Trump?
1: Look, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Donald Trump is an anomaly. Donald Trump is an aberration. Joe Biden represents conventional democratic foreign policy thinking. So at least he will be a normal democratic president. But as we've debated for many years now, uh, I don't think even the normal democratic worldview is the right one. Uh, so, So by removing the aberration and putting in Uh, I'm sure Biden would love being called the Warren Harding of 2020, but by putting in a normal, albeit Democratic president, I think you reverse the aberration. But the policies, the substantive policies, uh, will remain, I think, in this country very
0: much a matter of debate. You've been in State Department circles, Justice Department circles, in government for decades. And when you saw the the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, tell reporters a, a couple days ago, a few weeks ago, That he's looking forward to a second Trump inauguration and a second Trump administration, even after the election was clearly moving in a different direction. What did you say to yourself? What does that tell you about Pompeo and the Trump administration at this critical juncture? Yeah.
1: Well, I said in response to earlier questions, I thought it was delusional. Look, Mike has made his bones with Donald Trump, and he's going to have to live with it.
0: We'll leave it there. Ambassador Bolton. Appreciate your time this afternoon and coming back to Washington Post Live. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.